Beloved Church of Christ, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege, grace given to us to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so before we begin to once again study and immerse ourselves into the depths of our calling, the unchanging epigraph to our study of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. And Jesus said to his disciples, Here is that which I have spoken to you, that which must call to be fulfilled of all that is written about me and the prophets and the psalms concerning me. And so, for us as members of the body of Christ, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit who unveils the truth in the heart and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed in a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 so that you set aside your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to his deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and be clothed into the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. This is the great goal of God, for which was paid a high price, the sacrifice of his son. He had given up His Son, His one and only Son, specifically for this goal, so that we, in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by hearing the Word of God, could set aside our former way of life in order to be renewed by the Spirit of our mind, and then through our renewed mind, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the new man, this, in fact, was our calling before God had created the world. This is the calling of, the sa of every saint that has been born from the seed of the word of truth. And if a child of God does not understand their calling and sees it 
and he sees it as a role of a pastor or sees himself as a role of some kind of evangelist, the role of some kind of singer, deacon, or even better, when they see themselves as um, uh, one who practices theology, the one who practices theology, they will lose their salvation and their names will be blotted out of the book of life because our goal is not to gain the world for God but to set aside the former way of life what benefit is it to man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul we cannot save ourselves salvation is given to us in the format of a deposit in a seed and a knot of fruit we need to grow this seed in the Eden of our heart or rather to place into circulation the deposit of our salvation so that we can receive it as a belonging in the fruit of righteousness. And for this goal, it is necessary not to evangelize, but to take off the old man with his works. And only when we take off the old man with his works, when we renew our mind with the spirit of our mind, when we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the new man, only then are we able to be a light to the earth. Having been a light to the earth, we all become independent of our of our gender, of our social status. We all become evangelists because people are going to come to Christ seeing His light. When they simply just come to the sermon of a person who has not set aside his former way of life, he does not know how to do this, this person will lead them there where he himself is going. Yes, they're going to accept Christ, but what kind of Christ are they going to accept? For each person that has not set aside his former way of life, he preaches not that Christ that is in Scripture. He has not known him. If he has known this Christ, he would have become a disciple and he would have followed him and not have strived to be a teacher. And therefore, in this commandment is contained the true calling of each person that has followed Christ. Non-fulfillment of this commandment is considered by Scripture as resistance to Christ and relates this person to the category of Antichrist, those who resist Christ. For the fulfillment of this commandment and this faithful commandment, there are three basic verbs. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. And we have talked about how from answering these three faithful questions or actions to set aside, to renew, and to clothe will depend on whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. Or rather, will we perfect the salvation, our salvation that is given to us in the form of a deposit or will we waste it forever? Because of which our names would forever be blotted out of the book of life. So practically, only when a person is born from the seed of the word of truth and comes to a certain spiritual maturity, only then is he offered a decision to be a vessel of wrath or to be a vessel of mercy. God cannot offer a carnal person or an infant a decision because an infant, he continually falls and shakes, and his shaking is in the fact that he cannot listen to just one person. He does not acknowledge the authority of the person. He searches for something, something else. They say, have you heard, heard of this brother who said this sermon? What about this other brother? Did you listen to this evangelist? They continually go, drive around, search for others, and therefore they fall and they shake by this wind of teaching for one and then the other. 
the infrastructure of the body of Christ is comprised of this, that there is only one person whom, to whom God reveals his heart, to understanding his word so that he can pass it on. And then his helpers in this spirit can also pass on this word. And only then will there be unanimity and one-mindedness. But when the church today has rolled down to uh, the disgusting structure of democracy and selects for themselves uh, congregants that would flatter their ears or they search for them by what he has, what kind of uh, what kind of education he has, a bachelor's degree, master's degree, or uh, or a doctorate degree. Today, in these days, it's, to be a pastor, you need this kind of degree in a big church. And the church is not chosen by the church, but he is chosen by a group of businessmen. So the group of people in the church that are established, that offer tithes in the church, and the tithes are, their tithes are great in amount. Therefore, uh, and with this manner, they control the church. Keep in mind, these, this money, this business controls the church. They select for themselves a person. They agree with him that he can, what he can preach about, what he can't, and they pay him. And he, based on this agreement, preaches. Very rarely will you find a church. They are out there, but they were. there are those that have not been formed in this way, and they are those that have the theocratical structure. However, let us keep going so that we can study what is necessary for us to do in order to clothe ourselves into the new man. We have already studied the first two conditions and have stopped to study the third condition. What condition is necessary to fulfill so that with the authority of our already renewed thinking, our prince, our the king in our head, we, so that we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth. You know that in carnal people and infants, there are no kings in their heads. They are led by their emotions and not by their renewed mind. I have felt, I feel, this means that this person does not have a king in his head yet. He does not have this prince. We are called to be led by a king, a prince, and not by our emotions. Our king, our prince, is called to lead these emotions after himself and to calm down these emotions when the storm rises in them, when they are disgruntled, when they need to speak, but you can't, uh, you can't not be disgruntled. You have no knowledge. God will never turn directly to the emotions. He turns to the mind, to a renewed mind. And never will God cooperate with a mind of a person that is not renewed. Because a person is not going to understand God. He's going to resist him. He's going to say, oh, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with this. Uh, you need to interpret this this way or that that way. And so with regard to this, we have uh, we have stopped to study the conditions that are contained in the 18th Psalm of David in which the Holy Spirit unveils the conditions thanks to which our prayer of faith can cooperate with the name of God Most High or El Elyon in order to be delivered from our enemies that live in our body. And this condition is comprised of us in our distress upon taking off the old man so that we could call out to the Most High. And when we do take off our old man, this is going to be the darkest time for us. And so that during this time, we can call out to the Most High and proclaim the faith of our heart in who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are for God in Christ Jesus, and what we must do to inherit all 
of that which God has done for us in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. With regard to this, we have noted that this parable is one of the strongest images that portrays the collaboration of our renewed thinking in the image of King David with the name of God Most High in resistance against our carnal mind in the image of King Saul and reigning sin in the face of the old man with his works. In the face of Agag, the Amalekite king. And thus, in our body, there exist three kings, three personas. These, this is not just some kind of spirit or something. Scripture says that this is a person, that this is a persona. He has a mind, he has a will, and he uses the mind and will. Using the mind and will, he wants to control our body. And all of these three kings contend for our body, and the battlefield is our heart. And of course, Saul, or rather our mind that has not been renewed by the spirit of our mind, he is always on the side of Agag, the king of Amalek. He is going to protect him. He is going to go after David in order to kill him. But the king of Amalek, he is going to protect. He's going to say, oh, my brother, you are still living. All right, let's make an agreement. And he stretches out his hand toward him in collaboration with him. Take a look at what relationship the anointed man of God, Saul, has with Amalek when there was a decree called to destroy the Amalekites uh, because they could never enter into salvation to destroy them. God has uh, God wants to destroy them that they had killed the Israelites in the wilderness when they had fallen behind and the Amalek came and destroyed them. He could not destroy them under the protection of the cloud, but he had killed all of those who for whatever reason had were um, left behind. And God said that his hand is against the Amalekites. He called Saul to kill them and Saul did not do so. He saved the king uh, the, this king and the, his best and choicest sheep and his best beasts of the field. And when Samuel said, what have you done? He said, I have done this for your God. I kept this for your God. Pay attention how he spoke to with Samuel. He said, I kept this for your God. When people tell me, your God, believers, I understand that my God is not their God. When my former friend said to me, well, why does your God not punish me? I'm going against you. I told him, now my God is going to punish you. And now when you have spoken these words, before these words, until you had released them, you did not give God the basis to punish you. We had different, we began to have different gods. We Before we had one God, we both worshipped one and the same God. But now you are telling me, well, where is your God? Here I am going after you. I am not in agreement with you. And why does God not punish me? After two weeks, this person was buried. I had prayed until the very end for God to have mercy on him. I gave him the opportunity to repent. To him came people with from his same church and said, let's call Brother Arkady and you will repent for your words. He said, no, please call my pastor, this wicked person who had conducted a separation within the church. Please send him to me. He came and said, I don't believe in prayer. That pastor told him. Well, uh, for your request, I will pray for you. He left. He turned. He cried out loud and said, if my pastor does not believe in prayer, I don't want to live. He was, a surgery was performed on him and he had uh, not come to consciousness and he had died. And this is very unfortunate. 
And for us to understand, Saul said the same thing to Samuel. He said, this is what I have done for your God. I had left your God the choicest. And Samuel said, you don't need, we don't need this. You need a submission and to be obeyed. You think that you need a sacrifice? No, obedience is better than sacrifice. For the best kind of sacrifice is obedience and submission. This is to be a disciple. It is to follow everything after the after the teacher and when a person decides to follow one thing and not the other thing this means that he is not yet clothed in the mantle of a disciple and that's why all that he hears and all that he accepts and he likes he is not going to be able to inherit for that very simple reason that he is not clothed in the mantle of a disciple and therefore through the proclamation of the faith, faith of our heart in who God is for us and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and who we are for Him, God could receive the basis to enter into battle over our earthly bodies in order to destroy reigning sin in our body in the face of the old man with the power of His redemption and with a noise forever cast Him into the underworld. This will occur at the beginning of the week of Daniel. We are standing at the doorstep of this week of Daniel. And when this occurs, this will occur in one day. Some say, well, why does pastor not tell us how this will happen? And I have said this will happen in one day. Momentarily, this will happen simultaneously. This is what it says according to scripture. This will happen in one day. There won't be one clothed on one day, the second one on another day. No. For now, God is preparing us. We are found at the doorstep. And as soon as we enter into this week, this will happen. And at the center, at the middle of the week, will be rapture. And at the end of the week, we are going to return with Christ for the millennial kingdom. And therefore, according to its character, the prayer song of David contains three parts in which the standard of the character of a just prayer is presented, which is inherent to kings priests and prophets. The first part defines the state of David's heart as a warrior of prayer, which is the basis for the just status of his prayer that is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets. The state of the heart will affect the prayer. The second part uncovers the contents of a just prayer that is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the basis to deliver David from the hands of all his enemies. The third part in an epic genre illustrates the prayer battle itself that is beyond understanding to the mind of man. In a certain format, we have already studied the first part and have stopped to study the second part, which unveils the components of a just prayer in the eight names of God Most High. So it unveils in what method or how we must pray. What kind of order of prayer must be observed, how we must pray. Or rather, what kind of prayer words should be used? What kind of prayer words should be used? Where they should be taken from? They should be taken from Holy Scripture, either uh, out of those words that have come from the mouth of God. We must take them and pray according to the commandments, the statutes, and the laws.
And therefore, knowledge in proclaiming the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David to love and call on the Lord in order to be saved from his enemies. And for God, knowledge and proclamation of the truth that unveils the powers of his names in the heart of David gave him the basis to use the powers of these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock of Israel in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And so, I again will be reminded of the eight names, but I will uh, bring them, mention them from my name and your name, how we must begin our prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock of Israel. Upon you I will trust. Lord, you are my shield from the fiery arrows. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. You see, in these eight names, take a look at how many meanings there are in these eight names. They can be uh, studied throughout all of Scripture, what stands behind these names, and we are studying each name, what powers it contains, and how we can make it so that the powers of these names could become our belongings. In previous services, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied our portion in the powers of the names of God, strength, rock, fortress, and deliverer. And we have stopped to study our inherited portion in Jesus Christ in the name of God, rock of Israel, rock of Israel, a living stone, a living rock. Given that this kind of prayer in which David proclaims his inherited portion in the eight names of God Most High yields a covenant of God with man, it is the strategic teaching, as we know, that there exist 50 names of God that are accessible to man through Scripture. Um, all those that worship Baal, they also uh, use these names, but they attribute them to Baal. But the 50 names of God are contained in a covenant with God. That's why all of these eight names are dissolved in all the 50 names. And these eight names themselves, they are dissolved in one another, and they are contained in one another and verify the authenticity of one another. And again, this strategic teaching... In this prayer, which is called to be a calling for warriors of prayer in the dignity of kings, priests, and prophets anointed to reign over their earthly body. And if man has not accepted the anointing given to him to reign over his calling, so if he has not accepted the information, anointing must be accepted in information. Anointing is authority. If a person does not know information, what is this authority? And which, in which limits it must be responsible. It is, we are called, we even anointing to reign over our calling to reign as a king, priest, and prophet over our earthly body in order to be transformed into the dignity of a heavenly body. And this revelation meant for worship unto God in prayer will not bring us any benefit if we have not accepted this anointing. 
He prays for anointing in order to evangelize, in order to heal, in order to cast out demons, in order to be uh, prosperous, but he never prays about taking off the old man with his works. And therefore, the property and lexicon in the definition of the name of God, living stone or living rock, or rather, God for warriors of prayer of Israel. Israel is a warrior of prayer. And therefore, as the previous names of God Most High, they cannot be found in any dictionaries of the world. And therefore, living rock in Hebrew is the tip of a mountain cliff, a rock stone fence, a shelter, a shadow from the stone, carrying victory over the enemies. It is the elephant tusk or ivory out of which we must build a throne in our body in order for the Holy Spirit to reign there and clothe it into the Word of God in gold. Living rock is the promise of imperishable food. It represents eternal dominion and it serves as consolation of peace. Because a dead stone or a dead rock cannot do anything for us. When we are talking about a rock, then God always refers to this stone or this rock as He Himself, His powers and His names. And therefore, with the powers in the name of God, Rock of Israel, we are called to receive the victorious ability to keep and cultivate the income received from the circulation of the silver of salvation, which is comprised of the adoption of our body and is the subject of the promise of imperishable food. Considering this necessary union of God and man in the clothing of our earthly body in the pearl of incorruption, it becomes fatefully important for us to define God's role and man's role in every sphere of our being. Because very unfortunately, and I repeat this many times, that when a person tries to fulfill the role of God instead of fulfilling his own role, what happens is he places himself in the position of God. He uh, portrays himself as God. And when he does this ignorantly, God imputes to him as sin, but not sin to death. But when time comes for him to leave infancy, but he has not left it, then God imputes this sin to him as death. Because he behaves himself as the fallen cherubim. He wanted to take the place of God. We must clearly know and understand and study before asking something from God. Sometimes we ask God uh, for that which He must do and not we, we must do. We must ask for God for help for what we must do. Always, everything that we ask, there is the role of God and the role of man. We need to study these roles. And for this purpose, just as in studying our portion in the previous names of God called to be the portion of our salvation, we arrived at the need to study the following classic questions. Three, four classic questions. What characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose in the realization of our salvation is our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, intended to fulfill? in our body, in our heart, when we accept it there upon certain uh, foundations, when we pay a specific price. And therefore, the next question, what price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be a rock of Israel, and by what results can we define that God is truly our rock of Israel in the realization of our calling? In order to take off the old man, to be renewed 
in the spirit of our mind and to begin the process of clothing ourselves into the new man. And so we have already studied the essence of the first two questions and I've stopped to study the third question tied to the conditions that the fulfillment of which give the Holy Spirit the basis to lead us into an inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. And uh, this, we have already studied seven components of the price, giving God the basis to be our rock. And we have stopped to study the eighth component that is comprised of our decision and our ability to hide from the Philistines in the cleft of the rock of Etim. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will seize. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etim. Judges 15, 7-8 This image, with all of its characters, we began to look at in a temple of our body in the events that had occurred with Samson after the Philistines burned his wife in the house of her father. Under Samson, in the temple of our body, we began to view our new man, born from the seed of the word of truth. I will remind you that the name Samson means sunshine or sunny, which points to the fact that his name carried in itself a meaning related to our birth from the seed of the word of truth, which was the light of life that darkness could not embrace. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalms 84 verse 11. The full version of the name Samson representing an image of the properties and origin of our new man contains in itself a more broader, greater, and fateful meaning for us. Samson means born from the sun, born from the great light, belonging to the great light, representing the interests of the sun or the great light and the fulfilling the functions of the sun of the great light. And so in the name Samson, um, we will view our innermost man born from the seed of the word of truth who for our soul and body is the sun that carries the light of life. The same calling, the contents of which it becomes clear what purpose the Son created by God for the earth was called to fulfill. In the same way, the purpose of our innermost man, born from the seed of the word of truth for our earthly body, created by God from the dust of the earth, was called to fulfill in order to bring it to life in God. Under the Philistines living in the temple of our body should be viewed our unclean thoughts and the corrupt desires of our uncircumcised flesh behind which stands reigning sin in the face of our old man who is a programmable device of the ancient cherubim or ancient serpent. Whereas under the Philistines outside of our bodies should be viewed as the category of carnal people uh, we can attribute the wicked and lawless to them. However, carnal people are di different from them. Carnal people, they have an opportunity to become spiritual. But wicked and lawless people, they do not have this kind of opportunity. They have lost it. Therefore, they are enemies of all that comes from the Spirit of God. And therefore, they are enemies of warriors of prayer. Carnal people, we must forgive stoop down to their level, but wicked and lawless people, there is no forgiveness. There is no blessing that we are called to bring upon them. We must, according to Scripture, desire for them that which God desires for them. Satan will come down upon him, let their backs be bent down forever. These are God's curses. 
that God has expressed. But until we exp express them, nothing will happen to these people because we are the last ring that can express this. God only through His people, only those people who fear God can express His anger and demonstrate His love. The cleft of the rock of Etim in the temple of our body in which Samson hid from the anger of the uncircumcised Philistines and the subject of unclean thoughts and corrupt desires is an image of refuge in the name of God, Rock of Israel, hidden in our heart in the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ, because the cleft of the rock Etim means lasting and durable. Through the action of the truth contained in the blood of the cross of Christ, we, in the death of the Lord Jesus with the law, died to the law, so that we could live for the one who died and rose, because of which we gained freedom from our nation, the house of our Father, and our carnal life with its uncircumcised thoughts and lusts. At that time, Israel was given by God into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Because they had left the Lord and began to do evil before the eyes of the Lord. And when the time of retribution came to an end, in which God quenched the hunger and thirst for His holiness, He appointed a judge for Israel, Samson, who was called by God to save them from the Philistines. The following events that had occurred with Samson, in the literal sense of the word, discourage and plunge into bewilderment every person who is in a carnal state, in which uh, not dependent on what kind of education he may have, bachelor's, master's degree, or a doctorate degree. Because these callings, uh, they do not give a person spirituality or do not make him spiritual. They make him proud and prideful because uh, knowledge um, produces pride. When knowledge is used by a spiritual person, this, and this is something completely separate. But as a rule, spiritual people will never go to any kind of seminary or any kind of institute to learn and I want to tell you this directly never will they do this spiritual people learn in the church because the church has the greatest institute of God it is called to exist so that people can learn here they can learn how to take off the old man how to renew their thinking and how to clothe themselves into the new man Notice that in these institutes, this is a discipline. <laughs> this discipline isn't even called in these schools. It does not exist. And so we have noted that if Samson, in the face of our new man, loses the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, he immediately and forever will lose his right to be a Nazarite in which dwells the power of the resurrection of Christ. The power of the resurrection of Christ dwells in Nazarethood. The Nazarites, they were carriers of the power of the resurrection of Christ. And based on the fact that the Holy Spirit began to move in Samson in the tribe of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol, as written, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. So when he grew up, we arrived, um, or we have noted that when our Samson in the face of our new man grew into the full measure of the stature of Christ, he received the ability to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of his life, which allowed him to be led by the Holy Spirit in order to affirm our origin in God or our sonship in God. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of a God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8.14 Take a look at where we affirm our sonship. When we begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, we need to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. In order for Him to knock as the Lord and ruler of our life, we need to already in our heart have wisdom sealed in the reigning teaching of Christ in its 12 base teachings because the Holy Spirit will come and is going to dwell in this atmosphere in these boundaries and limits he is not going to come into a foolish heart a foolish heart is a heart in which there is no fullness of the teaching of Christ so however a Christian may be if there is no fullness of the teaching of Christ in its 12 foundations and its 12 uh, 12 foundations 12 fruits of the tree of life and its 12 precious stones the breastplate of judgment of the high priest if this information is not in the heart the Holy Spirit cannot come there as the Lord and ruler yes you will speak in tongues yes the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to speak in tongues but you have accepted not the Holy Spirit, you have accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spirit. You have accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has given you the ability to speak in tongues. It has given your new man the ability to do this using the uh, using your tongue. But the Holy Spirit cannot yet dwell as Lord and ruler in an infant because an infant is incapable of understanding the Holy Spirit and be led by Him because He is constantly stumbling and He is led by all kinds of winds of teachings. Behind all kinds of winds of teachings stands some kind of general as they call him this is the general of God where did you get generals of God there are apostles there are prophets where have you gotten this that there are generals of God I remember one sister had run to me and said oh who do I see a general of God I say what kind of general am I to you I am a messenger of God I am a servant of God of the God of the Most High I am not a general as you have called me I understand a person who has called these people generals of God he was a homosexualist from the very beginning he had received a revelation wrote books he was a pastor but no one knew that he was an active homosexual he had enticed young people in order to uh, to have relations with him for him to be used and then, when the charismatics found out about this, but before this, they always invited him everywhere. When they found out about this, they said, oh, what's going on? I said, well, this is your charisma. This is your charisma. How could a homosexual enter into heaven, look and then speak? And he wrote a book, Generals of God, and everyone had read this book that he had written and therefore on one end we must understand that in the actions of Samson in our earthly body we should understand the goals and behavior of God in relation to our body in which live Philistines and the subject of our uncircumcised thoughts and desires and on the other hand we need to simultaneously look at our new man in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus in our new man as one whole and inseparable in following one goal established by God in which sovereign rights between God and man and man and God are kept. Given that 
having been placed in Christ. Um, it's impossible for Christ to be in man uh, and him not in Christ or on the contrary. Because having been placed in Christ, we give the Holy Spirit the basis to present before God our right to an unsearchable inheritance in Christ and carry responsibility for us before God. So when we are found in Christ, He represents us or He presents us before His Heavenly Father. However, when we when we place Christ in ourselves, then we give the Holy Spirit the basis to clothe us, clothe us in His power so that we can pre- represent God's rights to ruling our bodies and carrying a responsibility before God for the presenting of His interests in our bodies. And therefore, each time we are talking about the purpose of our new man living in our earthly body, we will not forget that it is specifically He who presents in our earthly body the properties and purposes of the Nazarites of Christ, and that His direct calling on one hand is the mission of God laid upon Him to destroy the power of death in our earthly body and replace it with the reign of the power of life. And on the other hand, along with the erecting of the power of life in our bodies, the mission of our new man is to clothe our body with himself outside, from the outside, in the resurrection of Christ. The birth of Samson and his calling to be a Nazarite from the womb of his mother in order to save Israel from the Philistines was foretold to Manoah's wife, whose womb God clothed and she was barren. The name of Samson's father, Manoah, in Hebrew means the place of rest, which points to the place for the Sabbath rest in which God found rest and comfort. Only when our heart becomes a refuge for Christ where He can be comforted, only then can we give birth to the fruit of Samson, Manoah. Can Manoah do so? Can he comfort God? These two people we must view in our body. And under the mother of Samson in our body, we begin to study our partaking to the body of Christ in the face of the Church of Christ, who is the mother to us all. And we noted that all revelations and good things from God and the dignity of His promises could only be received in the body of Christ under whom is viewed God's chosen remnant. Under the land of Israel that was under the rule of the Philistines, we viewed as our earthly body, which is redeemed by God and of which the Lord said that His eyes are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Given that the name Israel means warrior of prayer, under the Israelites in the temple of our body we viewed as prayer words, kept in our heart in the format of the faith of God, giving us the ability to be warriors of prayer, to pray as warriors of prayer. And outside of our body, under Israelites, we viewed the wife, the bride of the lamb, in the face of God's chosen remnants, clothed in the dignity of warriors of prayer. The Israelites that began to do evil before the eyes of the of God lost their right to be called Israelites. And furthermore, we noted that God did not search for some kind of group of people united with one another through their dedication to God. God searched for one person, specifically appointed by Him before the creation of the earth. I sought a people from them to place them in a gap, to place Him in the gap, not a brotherly council, not people, but 
a person who could allow the Holy Spirit to clothe him in the powers of the fatherhood of God so that he could, through this person, conduct a kind of sanctification which he made in the span of 40 years, in the image of 40 years. From this it follows that the image of the 40 years of sanctification in which God gave the sons of Israel into the hands of the Philistines was called to prepare us to meet with the Lord in the air by way of destroying in our earthly bodies the power of death in order to erect in the temple of our body the power of life. And sanctification always always refers to destruction and then rebuilding upon this place of description. First, he destroys the temple of Baal and then in this place he rebuilds or builds, repairs an altar to the Lord. In this destruction of the power of death in our perishable bodies, we are called to fulfill by way of growing in our heart the fruit of righteousness and the dignity of Methuselah who banishes death. It is specifically this kind of sanctification that is the price, giving the Holy Spirit the basis to lead us into the inherited portion belonging to us in the name of God, Rock of Israel. And therefore, if our sanctification does not produce the fruit of holiness and the dignity of Methuselah grown by us who banishes death, then our sanctification does not have a right to be called sanctification. Considering that God, in His purpose for each of us, is based on the level of the cooperation of our faith with the faith of God, it follows that our innermost man, or a new man, is called to contain all the components of the vocation and the properties of each Nazarite from the womb of his mother, and that each component is our choice, for which we are responsible for, before God. And the higher the level of our sanctification will be, the higher the level of our dedication will be which will give God the basis to use us in service according to the level of our dedication. As soon as the Holy Spirit fulfilled sanctification between Zorah and Eshtol through our new man, having cast out the power of death in our body, he led Samson to Timnah, which belonged to the tribe of Judah, which the uncircumcised Philistines took over in war. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. You see, he did not t tell them that this was from the Lord. He was a Nazarite. He simply had followed, and they needed to submit to his uh, uh, the fact that he was Nazarite. They, need, they understood that all that a Nazarite would do would be from the Lord because he was led by the Holy Spirit. And therefore it is written that they did not know that this was of the Lord and that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. In order to have uh, dominions a dominance over Philistines, he needed to take uh, a wife of a, a Philistine woman for himself. 
proceeding from such a statement before looking for an excuse to take revenge on the Philistines who live outside of our body in the face of wicked and lawless people who make a division among between God and His people, it was necessary to deal with the Philistines who live in our body in the image of our unclean thoughts and our impure motives behind which our old man stood. From this it follows that as soon as the Holy Spirit through Samson completed the act of consecration between Zorah and Eshtol, he led Samson to Timnah, which belonged to the tribe of Judah, which the uncircumcised Philistines took into their possession by war. So Samson went, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So pay attention here, that Samson, he was an ordinary man. He was ordinary. Just like you look, uh, he looked. He didn't look in his, his body. He didn't look special in any kind of way. He didn't have broad shoulders nor big muscles. He was an ordinary person. He was not involved with any kind of sports. He had studied the law. And those who study the law, they do not have... Uh, the body of uh, of uh, athlete, he did not have this kind of a body, but it is written that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Simply, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. All that he had done, this was only the sp- when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And when the Spirit of the Lord will come upon a small creature, that small creature will overcome an elephant. And he had tore the young lion, and as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So they did not tell. He did not tell him why he wanted his parents to um, to give him the Philistine woman as a wife. And he did not tell him that he had killed this lion. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. After a few days, in the carcass, it was full of honey and a swarm of bees. This is, this completely is a supernatural phenomenon. These kind of clean and pure bees, this kind of animal, they cannot uh, be found in a carcass and after a few days do such active work that a swarm of bees would fill this carcass with honey. He took some of it in his hands, the honey, and he went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. The phrase, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, tells us that Samson's parents, despite them not understanding the actions of their son, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they agreed with him, seeing as this was from the Lord. Based on the existing concept, it follows that any of our ministry in the assembly of saints which will take place not under the patronage of a person person with the authority of the fatherhood of God will be illegal and illegitimate. He must do this according to the patronage of his father, Manoah. And his father is going to agree and he is going to help matchmake for him. 
At the next event called to take place in our body on the way to the vineyards of Timna is very significant in the calling of Samson representing our new man. This event is when a young lion roaring went out to meet Samson by which we should understand the image of reigning sin in our body in the face of our old man, whom Samson, in the dignity of a righteous man, tore to pieces like a goat. The vineyards of Timna are an image of the law condemning sin in which the old man trusts, by means of which he, in the form of a young roaring lion, rules over the children of Israel. As written, the strength of sin is the law. In nature, male lions, as we had talked about, they do not war without reason. By roaring, they claim their right to the ownership of their territory. And in this case, their right to rule over our body, which is called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and dwelling of the Most High. And therefore, an Apostle Peter said, that our adversary the devil walks like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, he meant that by roaring, the devil claims his rights against us, the rights to our body. As he had spoken about the right of Moses, but Michael the archangel said, may God forbid you. He stood so that the body of Moses would not be changed and for there not to be decay there. And on the third day, God had resurrected Moses and had taken him up to himself. And therefore, he could not be found. That's why Michael the archangel had protected the body from decay. To tear apart a roaring lion like a goat means to be freed from the power of reigning sin in our body in order to become a slave of righteousness and to receive the ability to bring God the fruit of holiness which is intended to be a price that gives us the power for the right to enter the portion and the inheritance in the name of God, Rock of Israel. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, having torn apart the roaring lion that went out to meet Samson like a goat in the face of his old man on the way to Timnah vineyards, which once belonged to the tribe of Judah, he deprived the old man of authority in our body, having been moved by the Holy Spirit following several days, when he went to take his wife and found the carcass of the lion, in which were a swarm of bees and honey. On the one hand, the settlement of a swarm of bees in the carcass of a lion, representing the image of our body, is a supernatural testimony in our spirit that we have become dead to sin, and it testifies about the erection in our body of the power of life in the place of the power of death. And on the other hand, the settlement of a swarm of bees in the carcass of a lion is such a testimony in our body which is intended to be for us a guarantee of our rapture in a meeting with the Lord in the air. The factor of such a testimony within a person is precisely the reason why Samson, representing the image of our innermost person, did not say anything to his father and his mother. As written, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. A new name, a new power, means new powers. He who has an ear to hear and hears what the Spirit says to the churches is the way to victory over the Philistines, behind whom stands reigning sin in the face of the old man. 
In this victory is called to take place of the confession of the faith of God that dwells in our heart and the inherited promise for the possession of the earth and the dignity of our body. The overcomer is a person who overthrows in his body the power of the old man by confessing the faith of God accepted by him in the broken tablets of testimony in which he died with the law to the law in order to live for the dead and risen in the new tablets of the covenant. To eat the honey in the carcass of a lion is the right to eat the hidden manna, which is given to the overcomer in the dignity of the promise related to the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ in the dimension of time. The white stone, which is given to the one who defeated the roaring lion in the face of the old man within the vineyards of Timnah is an image of fine linen, white and pure, which is a seal of righteousness, representing the royal rod of our lips. A new name written on a white stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it, which is given to the one who conquers the roaring lion in his body. This is the fruit in the testimony of Methuselah born by us, which is a guarantee of our meeting with the Lord in the air. And therefore, a swarm of bees and a lion's carcass in the depths of our mortal body is a sign of a glorious prototype of the erection of the power of life in our body in the place of the power of death. The disciples asked, Lord, how will the rapture occur? He said, where the carcass is, there the eagles will gather. Where there will be the death of the Lord Jesus, if he sees that you are dead to sin, here, the carcass of the young roaring lion that has been torn apart, this means that he's dead to sin. This means that the angels are going to lead this person. They are going to know who out of these people will be raptured and who are not. Those who carry in their bodies the death of the Lord Jesus and the subject of this torn lion in themselves, their old man, they are going to be raptured. And this is going to be their testimony. Furthermore, we have noted Having torn apart a young, roaring lion like a goat within the vineyards of Timnah, Samson got the opportunity to challenge the Philistines who settled in Timnah, behind whom stood the power of reigning sin in the face of the old man. Furthermore, we have noted that the image of the Philistine woman living in Timnah, whom Samson married, is an image of our emotional sphere. Given that the land of Israel is our body, then all of those who live in the land of Israel, they live in our body. And this Philistine woman whom he married is the image of our emotional sphere, which, thanks to the fact that reigning sin in our body in the face of a roaring lion was torn apart like a goat, entered into the authority of our new man. So before this, our emotions had depended on the old man. He had excited our lusts and our desires, but when we had destroyed him, when we had torn him apart, when he had overthrown him in ourselves, then our emotions were released from this authority. And therefore, he now wants to marry her. Although this a violation of some kind of order temporarily, because the new man cannot marry he cannot marry the emotions, he can marry only the mind. This is the mind that must marry. But for this it is necessary to renew our thinking and let us understand that this, these are images. 
Before the matchmaking, the Philistine father of Samson's wife, whose authority she was under, represented in our body an image of the rational capabilities of our soul, behind which stands the authority of reigning sin. She had submitted to her father. Therefore, because this emotion had submitted to him, then he had represented the capabilities of uh, the rational capabilities of the soul. But given that the authority of reigning sin uh, was destroyed for that very reason, that he had torn apart the, the lion like a goat, then the father of Samson, the, the father of Samson's wife, had then ended up on his side. But before this, the father of Samson's wife, his soul was not yet immersed in baptism and the death of the Lord Jesus. At the moment of matchmaking, reigning sin in the face of our old man, who came out to meet us within the vineyards of Timnah in the face of a young roaring lion, was already torn to pieces by us like a goat. As a result of this factor, the rational sphere of our soul in the face of the father of the wife of Samson has lost its power over our body, yielding to it the power of the Muminarim who dwells in our innermost man in the face of Samson. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Take a look here. When they had saw saw him, based on his uh, his garments, the way he looked, he was noble. They understood that before him stands a leader, a prince of Israel, and they also knew that this prince is also a priest. Because if it was only a prince, they would have chosen twenty friends, but they chose thirty friends that were like him. Thirty is the image of a priest because priests had fulfilled their ministry when they had reached 30 years of age. And therefore, as a father, the father of the Celestine woman and these 30 companions represent an image of the rational capabilities of our soul. They had been chosen for him so that they can be brought to him because they answered the requirements. So they were the same in stature. They were also Philistine princes. These were very rich and noble people that had great riches and a great authority. They had uh, these 30 people have been selected because he was in this way as well. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, so that we understand. This, uh, not everyone was selected 30 companions, but here the Holy Spirit shows and he unveils what is going to happen in us when we take off the old man, when we gain a renewed mind and when we begin to clothe ourselves into the new man. And now we will turn to the contents of the following words. And Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so, and it happened when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And therefore, first, the marriage feast happens with Samson's means, and the head of this feast is Samson. The second, the marriage feast is a place where not just any inhabitant of Timnah could be present. Uh, one only can be entered there by an invite or by wearing specific clothes. And in part, the one who is a relative of the house of the father of the bride and close acquaintances. Third, the marriage feast happening in Timnah 
is the portion of the tribe of Judah that is under the control of the Philistines. And fourth, the significance of the marriage feast is that it is a certain kind of victory and resistance against the Philistines. The essence of the following contents of the phrase we are studying is expressed in these words. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. If we rephrase this, the contents of this phrase, then a version of this phrase will be so. Seeing the powers of authority, dignity, and spiritual authority of Samson, they brought 30 companions to be with him. I will remind you that the number 30 in Scripture is an image representing the status of a priest and the dignity of a warrior of prayer. And our innermost man can carry this status under the condition that in him abides the light of revelations and the dignity of Thumim and Urim. And is passed along into our renewed mind. Based on the fact that Samson was brought 30 companions that were before him, which highlights his special status, it follows that a part of the Philistines invited to the marriage feast accepted Samson not just as a prince, but a warrior of prayer. It's a priest. Having tore the young roaring lion like a goat in the limits of the vineyards of Timnah, Samson receives the ability to challenge the Philistines themselves, as well as given that the power which they relied on in the face of the old man living in our body was destroyed. Figuratively, this happens when the authority of reigning sin in the face of our old man will be abolished in our body. Because we started to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. When Samson, in the face of our new man, tore the young roaring lion that went out against him like a goat, he receives the ability to use the spiritual strategy for being delivered from the Philistines in his body. This happened in the body, and now being delivered from the Philistines in his body that presented in his body our unclean thoughts and desires clothed in religious virtue through which they tried to keep their tolerant influence on us. Samson's strategy in taking rulership over the Philistines was comprised of needing to marry the Philistine woman. With regard to this, Samson held a feast in the city of Timnah, which was a portion of the tribe of Judah, but was overcome by the Philistines. Philistines, in the face of our fleshly thoughts and desires, having seen in Samson a noble origin, chose for him thirty companions that were brought before him. And so in this action, we see the symbolical image of how the Philistines that were brought before him during the seven days of the feast acknowledged in him not just a prince, but also a priest. And he had acknowledged in them the mind of his soul. The next events in which is presented the strategy of our spiritual man called to free the sons of Israel in the format of the rational capabilities of our new man is presented in the riddle that Samson posed the 30 companions that were brought before him during the seven days of the feast. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. Samson knew in advance that the riddle that he, according to direction from the Holy Spirit, intended to pose them could not be solved with their mind. 
The image of the gold that the Holy Spirit pursued through Samson in the 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing was comprised of affirming his status as a king and priest over the rational and emotional capabilities of his soul. Linen garments or un linen undergarments is a thin woven undergarment made of linen which the priests were required to wear when they entered the sanctuary in order to serve God. Such clothes were highly valued not only in Israel but throughout the ancient world. Commoners, both in Israel and among the Philistines, did not have this undergarment, since this was an exorbitant price for them. Only noble and wealthy people could have such undergarments. Princes, kings, and priests, and therefore commoners or poor people had only outerwear. Moreover, such clothes among the sons of Israel were such real estate that they could accept as collateral. It was also expensive. Outerwear that was simply placed on a naked body, it was very expensive as well. Whenever you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house and get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. Because the poor man, he has only an outer garment. He does not have a change of clothes, and this is another type of clothing, and he does not have the undergarment. He says, you shall in any case return the pledge to him when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. We are referring to our when our garments are found under pledge, when we, uh, we offend our neighbor and then we lose our righteousness. He then has it in his hands. And in order for it to be returned, he needs to forgive us. When he forgives us, he returns our garments back to us. And we must forgive our neighbor before the setting of the sun. This is this image. Why we must return the, the garments of, of, to the poor? before the sun goes down, so that the sun does not go down in our anger, in our resentment and bitterness. When it comes to the change of garments or the changing garments, although this is outerwear, it may not always be a change of clothes. Given that a change of clothes is not just outer everyday clothes, but new festive outerwear, which was usually saved for the holidays or given out for a meeting with the monarch or the king. It was very expensive. It was a very festive type of clothing, type of outerwear. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh and changed his clothing. He could not, in the clothes or the garments that he was in, in the dungeon, he could not stand before the face of Pharaoh. He needed to change his clothing. This clothing must coincide the clothing of a monarch. monarch. It had to be rich clothing, a festive. It had to be new. 
Therefore, to change clothes is to take off your old clothes and put on new clothes to meet the Lord. This is what it means to have a change of clothing. And if by linen garments one should understand the image of linen undergarments for priests, priests necessary to enter before the face of the Lord into the sanctuary in the status of a warrior prayer, then under a change of clothes should be understood the image of garments of righteousness in the dignity of pure linen, clean and bright, containing in itself and carrying in itself the powers of the resurrection of Christ prepared for our body to meet with the Lord in the air. In the image of clothing, in these changes of clothes, is an image of clothing our bodies into our new man, the carrier and representative of the resurrection of Christ. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Change your garments. Because, he says, let us stand and we will arise and go to Bethel, where God will meet us. There I will build an altar to God, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. Why the earrings that were in their ears? Because an earring in the ear spoke of uh, who you belong to. This was not just a decoration. This was a sign of a belonging, who you belong to, who you are overcome by. When an ear was pierced, this earring was uh, placed and this person was a servant of the one uh, whose earring this was. And they had to take out these earrings in order to hear what God would tell them. Until this earring is in the ear, you cannot hear the voice of God because you have another kind of earring. If you had an earring given by the Holy Spirit, then yes, you wouldn't need to, to take it off. But because they took off their earrings, this means that the earrings that were in their ears were, um, were idols, that they belonged and they said that this is a sign that I served this deity and this idol. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So you see what is done when people change garments. There will be horror. When we are clothed into the new man in this change of garments, and we have it, we have already accepted it in the dignity of the power of, of imperishability in the new man in which we must be clothed in. We already called in existent as existent. Now, when we are going to be clothed uh, during the time appointed by God, then there is going to be horror upon all the surrounding religious communities and people as well. And therefore, uh, we must solve the riddle of Samson, which he asked 30 companions that were with him during all seven days of the feast. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. The eater is the lion that eats a certain type of food. Therefore, under the image of food which the lion eats in the face of our old man, we mean the meat of the flesh. Lions, who by nature are carnivores, devour the flesh of their prey and leave the bones to predatory hyenas, whose powerful jaws are capable of grinding bones. 
So when uh, lions eat of the prey, the bones remain and the hyenas come, and they are always waiting nearby. As soon as lions leave the prey, um, they eat all of it, the bones, and nothing is left. They grind the bones and the skin. That's how strong their bones and jaws are. And thus, the lion in the face of our old man, eating our flesh, he himself became the food of our innermost man in the dignity of honey produced by a swarm of bees in his carcass, which is confirmed by the following phrase, out of the strong came something sweet. And when, on the seventh day of the feast, the citizen of Timnah told Samson what was the essence of his riddle, which in its essence is a parable, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion, this is how they had answered and solved his riddle. Then from the essence of this answer, one should understand one immutable truth. In order to tear a lion in the face of our old man like a goat, we need to immerse ourselves in baptism into the death of Jesus Christ, together with the old man living in our body. Specifically, in the action of baptism, representing the power of the blood of the cross of Christ, eating, or the eater in the face of a lion, representing the image of our old man, becomes food in the dignity of honey, representing the grace of Christ in the resurrection of Christ. Grace always is always represented as something sweet, and the law as something bitter as death. The words of Samson, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle, is interpreted simply, if you had not taken dominion over my wife, you would not have guessed my riddle. To plow the the ground is to is to have dominion over the land. He who plows the land has dominion over it. And he said that if you would ha had not plowed my heifer, if you would have not taken under the authority, you would not have solved my riddle. This unique action on the part of the citizens of Timna is not simple because it gave the Holy Spirit the foundation to lead Samson to Ashkelon because he uh, he had lost the argument and now he needed to bring 30 garments and 30 changes of clothes and just an ordinary Philistine uh, didn't wear these he needed to find these princes these rich people in order to take their linen garments and changes of clothing and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily Take a look here. Again, the Spirit of the Lord knew that they would solve the riddle, and He knew that He was He would need to find these 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Him mightily, and He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the change of, of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Ashkelon is one of the five main Philistine cities, figuratively representing our emotional sphere and five senses, dwelling in our earthly body. Proceeding from the fact that Samson, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, killed 30 people in Ashkelon, took off their apparel, and gave the change of their garments to those who solved the riddle, it follows that these were not commoners but the leaders of the Philistine militias. This is another glorious image of the promise that dwells in our body in the dignity of 30 linen clothes and 30 changes of clothes, in which our innermost man is clothed, is called to clothe our body in the subject of our rational capabilities. Samson was inflamed with anger at his wife and went to his father's house after this because she, instead of being under the head of her husband, allowed herself to be manipulated by his 30 companions.
And in fact, this was uh, lawful that she had allowed this to happen because she had allowed this, not herself, but the father, her father had done this. To go to the house of our father, when he went to the house of his father, although he had his own house, uh, his noble house, but he went to the house for his father. For this means to go to the house of the Mim in the dignity of the truth that dwells in our hearts and Urim in the face of the Holy Spirit who dwells in the house of the Mim. This act of Samson tells us that we sh- what we should do when our emotional sphere, which is under our control, refuses to follow the direction of our heart. So, emotions refuse to follow the direction of our heart. Why? She doesn't understand it. Emotion cannot understand the new man in our heart. At this time, the father of Samson's wife, believing that Samson had abandoned her, passed her off to Samson's friend who was with him, one of the 30 friends who was among him. And proceeding from the fact that the image of Samson's wife represented in our body the emotional sphere of our soul, and the 30 friends, one of whom was married off to Samson's wife, represented the rational sphere of our soul, it follows that our feelings were placed under the dominance of the rational sphere of our soul. When the father had given the wife of Samson or his daughter to one of the 30 companions, then in this manner, the emotion or the emotional sphere was made dependent on the rational capabilities. In the literal sense, Samson did not know that in his absence, the father of his wife gave her off to one of his friends. And this was in the literal sense. He did not know this. And therefore, a few days later, during the wheat harvest, when his anger subsided, he decided to see his wife bringing with him a young goat. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. All of these events will occur at the end of the age we are going to be able to be clothed into the new man. And Samson came and he brought a young goat and he said, let me go into my wife into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. The goat in the hands of Samson, which he brought for his wife, the Philistine woman, with whom he entered into the bonds of a marital covenant, is an image of the gift of the all-forgiving grace of God, which is given on the terms of the covenant established by God for those who repent their sins. Considering that Samson's wife, the Philistine woman, with whom he entered a marital covenant, is an image of the making of a marital union of our new man with the emotional sphere of our soul. In the image of the fact that Samson's wife married one of his 30 companions while Samson was in the house of his father, who was for him the image of the house of the wisdom of God in the dignity of the house of the Mim, representing the truth in the heart, and in the dignity Rim, who is in the house of the Mim in the dignity of the Holy Spirit. This is the making of a marital union between the rational capabilities of our soul renewed by the spirit of our mind with the emotional sphere of our soul. And figuratively, this 30, these 30 friends, they had received the changes of clothing and they had received the undergarments. 
So practically, they had become uh, completely different, and therefore, his emotional sphere had gone under the authority. Of course, through the death of the Lord Jesus, it's not possible that the emotional sphere go under the authority of our mind. For this, it is necessary for the emotional sphere along with Christ to to die. And then she had to arise, and we will see this in the new names, the new names that Samson is going to love. Figuratively, the wheat harvest during which Samson brought a goat for his wife, the Philistine woman, is a special kind of sanctification in which is presented in the interval of time during the uh, the eve of the week of Daniel, which for the remnant chosen by God will be a sign of the approaching end of the age. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. In the Sermon of John the Baptist, presented by him in the form of an allegory, the threshing floor of the one who comes, John, he said, the one who comes, uh, John meant Christ, that is, under whom means the church of Jesus Christ. This is the threshing floor for Christ. This is the threshing floor of Christ. And the image of the wheat means the image of the remnant chosen by God from the multitude of those who are called. Under the image of the chafe, the category of the multitude of those called is represented who refused to pay the price for the right to enter the category of the chosen for which they were subjected to the execution of the eternal fire. It should be noted that only when our mind, renewed by the spirit of our mind, becomes at the head of our emotional sphere, Samson receives the right to avenge the Philistines for Timnah, under which we consider our earthly body, which is in the power of of the Philistines. After a while, in the time of the week harvest, he said, Now I will be, I will revenge. And Samson came and he caught 300 foxes and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. So imagine, foxes is a good dog, it has very sharp teeth. With bare hands, a person cannot catch a fox. He needs to be shot or he needs to be trapped. But with bare hands, you will not catch a fox. This is like a wild dog. He caught 300 of them. What kind of uh, what kind of uh, land will have three hundred foxes? Absolutely. Of course, an ordinary person cannot do this. It was necessary for the Holy Spirit to come upon him to gather three hundred foxes, catch them, and they were living alive. These foxes allowed him what they're going to to scream and to bite when you are going to try to manipulate them with their with their tails. You need to take two tails and a torch between them and to tie it up. And he did this to 300 of them. And what, they're going to stand and wait while you tie them up? I want you to see the miracle, God's miracle of what had happened in this instance. He had tied 
the foxes and the torches between the tails and put a torch between each pair of tails. When you light one, then light the other, then the other, it's going to burn down. The foxes will even burn down. But you had to do it with such speed, all of this with such speed to place them so that all these 300 foxes could be placed, uh, could all be lined up. And he set them to, uh, to, the standing grain of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves and of course with them also burned the 300 foxes and the Philistines said who has done this and they answered Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire so Samson saying Samson said to them since you would do a thing like this I will surely take revenge on you after that I will see so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etim. This is an amazing battle in its nature for the possession of our body between our new man and the Philistines who represent in our hearts and minds the strongholds of the teachings of false teachers and false prophets posing as true apostles. And therefore, the image of 300 foxes through which Samson burned both heaps and unleavened bread and vineyards and olive trees and grain in our body because, again, all of this, Timna, the land, is an image of the of the land, our body. It is an image of the destruction of false strongholds in which we hoped to give God a basis to adopt our bodies to the redemption of Christ. Or people, they trust, they say, I am going to be raptured, I will be raptured, I will meet with the Lord in the air. But in fact, they cannot be raptured. Why? Because they trust in the prophecies. They trust in these prophecies, not on the Word of God, but on people who can prophesy. They do not trust on the word of God. But people who prophesy, as well as these all false uh, democratic structures which in which they select teachers for themselves, they give them false truths, false doctrines, and they trust, thinking that they are fulfilling them and that they are going to be raptured. A sister thinks that she carries a veil and that she gives birth to children and only for this she is going to be raptured. As one Episcopal said to his wife before me, my dear, you can just consider that you already have a testimony of this rapture and that you are going to be raptured because you have given birth to 11 children and so forth. So, of course, this is, of course, foolishness. And here we see what Samson had done with these false prophecies, what our new man is called to do. He is called to use the members of our body to use to do this. I will uh, place another example. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man in his place. So here, these three hundred people who had lapped the water with their tongue, they represent the true prophets. But when there are false prophets, people believe more lies than the truth. It's easier to believe in lies. But when the false prophets are destroyed, then they remain the true ones. Take a look at the difference between the character of these uh, prophets. One acts like a fox, 
your prophets Israel are like foxes. You do not stand in the gap. You do not protect the house of Israel. Each one strives to his own covetousness. And these, they lap water like a dog. I think you have seen before, I think we had shown before, how a dog laps water. He takes out his tongue and like a shovel, he he. Uh, laps it in his mouth he throws in his mouth not from himself but towards himself this means that when he drinks the water of life they attribute this to themselves they do not preach the word of God only for others they first and foremost apply it to themselves and he said take these people and you will save them because they when they hear the word they do not attribute it to their neighbor but they attribute it and apply it to themselves sometimes I preach certain truths and I see certain people how they look uh, how they look at another person Oh, this is for him. This is exactly for him. Let You should listen to this. I said, no, this is not for him. This is for you. But this is, no, this is for all of us. The answer of the Philistines to the fact that Samson burned uh, both the shocks and the grain and the vineyards and olive trees was that they went and burned his ex-wife and her father with fire. And then Samson broke their legs and thighs and went and sat down in the cleft of the rock of Etim. On our previous services, I hope we have an opportunity, we will begin to study the events that had, hap- had happened after this. We have only studied what had happened before he got to this rock of Etim. He went and he hid in this in this rock. And amen. Let us pray. Uh, let us bend our knees and bow our heads and we will thank God for this image, for this parable in which we were able and allowed to see the process of the destruction of false strongholds in the face of the old man, to destroy the lion like a goat, the old man, and to renew our thinking and then to clothe ourselves into the new man. Let the Lord bless us so that these words could become the image and the subject and could help us overcome overcome our old man in the face of a young roaring lion. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again bow down before your throne of grace in this blessed place that according to your grace you have given us so that we could come here and that we could worship before you and receive your revelation, so that we could receive honey. I thank you that you have allowed certain saints to eat honey out of the carcass of a lion in their bodies. I thank you that we have destroyed the power of death in our body, that they submitted to the information that has come from obedience to your word, and they begin to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to you. They begin to call the inexistent power of incorruption as existent. They begin to rejoice in their heart that upon their accounts, is found this change of garments, these new garments in which, uh, with which they could meet you in the clouds. May your greatness be blessed and all your mercies for your people that you have allowed, given them a testimony that they will meet their Lord on the clouds of heaven. May your mercy 
and truth be prolonged for those who have not yet gained these garments. Allow them, uh, stretch this time for them so that they can become disciples and follow, follow your servant. May they be blessed before your countenance. Have mercy upon them. I thank you for your word and for your saints who were able to listen and hear this word. May your mercy be praised in your truth in them and through them, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.